Several years ago, uh, there was a miniseries that was created by uh, HBO, and it was called Band of Brothers, and it was one of uh, my wife and I's favorite shows to watch, and uh, we continue to kind of rewatch it over the years. And uh, what, if you haven't seen the miniseries before, it, it follows a, a company through, uh, through World War II uh, as they f- fight several battles uh, throughout Europe. And the character development is, is excellent in the miniseries, and you really get a window into kind of the heart and the emotion and the anxieties of these soldiers as they go through World War II. And what continues to grow from the beginning of the miniseries almost towards the end is just a general confusion that you see in all of the soldiers. They begin to ask questions like, uh, why are we fighting this war? Why are the Germans our enemies? And they continue to be plagued with the kind of why questions of the war. And that is until the second to last episode in this miniseries. And And in that episode, uh, as they're fighting their battles, they stumble upon a concentration camp. It's the first one uh, that they had witnessed throughout World War II, and immediately they knew why they were fighting. And that's actually the name of that particular episode. You see, because before the mission was unclear, but now they had clarity, and once they understood the mission, everything became clear, everything made sense. And it's a great reminder to all of us that the why matters, and that the why is is linked to the mission and the purpose. And while this is very true of things like battles in World War II, it certainly applies to the church or the community of faith as well. Uh, Ed Clowney uh, said this, he said, the congregation that ignores mission will atrophy and soon find itself scattered and shattered by internal dissension. It will inevitably begin to lose its own young people disillusioned by hearing the gospel trumpet sounded every Sunday for those who never march. Have you ever wondered before why once a life is changed by God, once a life is changed by the gospel, when someone comes to faith in Christ, why God doesn't just take them away at that moment and whisk them off into heaven? Well, the answer is because Jesus' followers have work to do. We have a mission And that mission is outlined for us multiple times throughout the Scripture, and it is clearly outlined in our passage this morning from the book of Acts. So this morning I'm going to read uh, from Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 11. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word uh, or on the screens. hear Hear God's Word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself to them, alive to them, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times 
or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He'd said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, speak to us through your word. Visit us with your spirit. May we hear your voice this morning, Lord. Speak to the exact places that we need to hear, and may we leave here changed as a result. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So I'd like to look at at our passage this morning, uh, this idea of the mission that God gives us from four different angles. I want to look at where the power comes for this mission, the nature of the mission, the scope of the mission, and then finally the urgency of of the mission that God has given us. So first, I want to look at the power for this mission, and what we see is that the power for it comes from God Himself. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, the beginning part says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you're with us a couple weeks, we preached a whole sermon on this idea of where the power comes from the church. And we talked about how the power source for the church, for the movement, for the growth of the church is the Holy Spirit. And we saw how all throughout the book of Acts and even today, the Holy Spirit shows up. And at least in the book of Acts, he turned very simple fishermen, everyday fishermen, he turned them into powerful world changers. And we saw how even that word power is kind of the Greek word where we get the word for dynamite. This isn't just simple power. This is explosive power that when it is unleashed, changes lives, changes cities, changes towns. We saw how that same Holy Spirit who was present at the time of creation who empowered Old Testament saints, who descended uh, in the form of a dove upon Jesus at his baptism, that same Spirit is given to you and I. It's given to every follower of Jesus Christ. And we saw how that Spirit likes to show up in the context of our weaknesses, not so much our strengths, but our weaknesses. That that same Holy Spirit is the power source behind this mission that God has given to us. And I don't know about you, but I think that's really, really good news. Just a couple weeks ago, it was last week, I think, our our young kids, our our elementary age kids and our preschool kids um, and middle school kids, I think, uh, all went to a corn maze. And that's one of the things that everybody likes to do in the fall. They like to go and visit corn mazes. And uh, even some of our littlest kids Uh, went to the corn maze and enjoyed kind of roaming around in the corn for a little while. But I want you to imagine for a minute that what if we took a young three- or four-year-old child, we took him in the corn maze, dropped him in the middle of it, and then left. Imagine what you wouldn't send your kids to our kids' ministry anymore if we did that, of course. But imagine for a second we did something like that, and imagine how they would feel. 
They would certainly feel lost. They would feel frightened. They would feel overwhelmed by asking them to do this. And in fact, it would be even cruel for us to do that to a really young child. But imagine if we took that same three or four year old child, we put them in the corn maze, but we also paired them up with the designer and the builder of the corn maze. Imagine we paired them up with the architect or the creator of this corn maze, and if we did that, things would be incredibly different for that young child. You see, friends, the same is true for us when it comes to the mission of God. Jesus doesn't send us into mission by ourselves. He doesn't send us out hoping that we're going to figure it out all on our own. He doesn't send us out left alone to overcome our fears and anxieties, but he sends us with his spirit, the spirit that has the power to change the lives of the people that we rub shoulders with each day. You see, left of ourselves, we have none of it. We have none of that power. But with God's Spirit, this mission can be accomplished in our midst. Well, what about this mission, or or what about the nature of it? Well, we also see the nature of it in verse 8 as well. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, that word witness here uh, meant something significant uh, in the first century world, If you look at some other translations, you might see that it is translated not as witness, but it is translated as herald. And essentially the idea that it's getting at is this. In the first century world, when a a new king was enthroned in the land, uh, they didn't have the access to send out a tweet uh, or a mass email about this new king. They certainly didn't have the ability to send out a presidential address uh, to everybody in the ancient world. But instead, what they would do is they would send out heralds. And these heralds would announce from town to town that a new king had been enthroned. And the hearers knew that if one of these heralds came to their town, that that herald was bringing them news, and the news that they were bringing them was about to change their lives. It was about to change every single thing about them. You see, friends, when it comes to the mission of God, I think sometimes we get lost in overcomplicating the mission that we have been given. We sometimes can get lost into thinking that we need to build copious amounts of relational capital with people before we can talk to them about Jesus. We can get lost into thinking that we have to dot all our theological I's and cross all our theological T's. We can get lost into thinking that we need to have all of our apologetics figured out. And don't get me wrong, all those things are very good and they are very helpful. But Jesus doesn't say anything about them here. Instead, he says that we are to simply go out and to announce that a new king has ascended a throne, and that this king is unlike any king we have ever experienced before. This king was willing to set aside his glory to become one with his creation. This king, he walked amongst his people, teaching them, loving them, performing miracles. This king, towards the end of his life, submitted himself to arrest and betrayal and ultimately 
crucifixion. This king offered himself as a sacrifice, a substitution so that sin and death could be defeated in our lives. But this king didn't just beat sin, but he also beat death itself by resurrecting from the grave just days later. And friends, because Jesus is king and because he is enthroned, then everything has changed. And if we trust in him, if we submit to his kingship, what the gospel tells us is that we can be freed from the burden and weight of sin. We no longer have to be defined from our past sins and our missteps, and instead we can experience grace from God and peace with the Father. Our eternity is secure in the grip of His faithful love and grace. You see, Jesus is a King who has come, who has brought about change to everything. And friends, ultimately, that is the message that we are called to proclaim. It is the message that we are called to live out. We are called simply to be heralds, to be witnesses to the power of King Jesus. And you see, the Apostle Paul understood this uniquely, and I'm so thankful for this passage of Scripture. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said this, And I, when I come to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the very power of God. You see, what Paul is saying is it's very simple. Declare Jesus and watch the Holy Spirit at work. And so we've looked at the power, we've looked at the nature. How about the scope? We see that also in verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's been lots of sermons on the, the implications of all that, but just to simplify it for our state is, is to basically say this. What Jesus is saying here is that it all starts with your immediate context. It all starts with your friends. It all starts with your family. It starts with your neighbors. It starts with your coworkers. It starts with all those people that are in your immediate sphere of influence. But let's be honest those are the hard ones, right? Those are the hard ones because these are the ones that see you every single day. These are the ones who know you so well that they clearly know that you are a flawed individual. These are the ones who could easily say or be quick to tell you how hypocritical you are, that your conduct in many ways doesn't match your message. And yet this is the place that Jesus wants you to start when it comes to proclaiming his message. Maybe for you the prospect of that feels daunting. I know at many times it feels that way for me as well. So maybe the starting point is to just simply pray. Maybe commit even today to pray for one person in your life or in your network, to pray daily for opportunities 
to share the message of Jesus with them and watch the Holy Spirit work in your midst. But Jesus is also saying here that it isn't just limited to those personal contacts. This movement of Jesus is not just local, it's global. It starts, of course, with your personal contacts, but it also extends to to tribesmen and tribeswomen in the far reaches of this world, uh, in places where modern culture and technology haven't even reached. So it includes the extremes, it includes the immediate and the far and everything in between, because this mission of God is not just local, but it is also global. And so we see the power, the nature, the scope of the mission, but finally what may be the most important, we see here the urgency of this mission. Look at verse 10, it says this, And while they, the disciples, were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. See, the passage tells us that Jesus' disciples are, are, are literally looking up into the sky as Jesus uh, becomes lost in the clouds, as he is ascending back into heaven. And as they're looking up into the sky, suddenly they are startled by two men who are most, most likely angels who basically confront them and say, stop gazing at the sky, stop looking up into the heavens, because rest assured that Jesus is returning. And so effectively what they do is they tell these disciples, it's, it's time to get going. It's time to go out, because this mission is urgent. Christ will come again, and he could come at any moment. Now, for you and I, the fact that Christ hasn't returned 2,000 years later is just a simple picture of how long-suffering and gracious Jesus is with our world. But what we rest assured in is this, is that some point Christ will return, and at that moment, His plan of restoration, His plan of redemption will come to completion. And so without being kind of reductionistic, what we realize is that the world falls into two categories. There are those who have been captured by the grace of God, and then there are those who are persisting in their rebellion against God. And the scriptures are clear that one of those groups will experience the full bliss of all that God has in store And the other will experience the full judgment that is deserved because of sin. C.S. Lewis remarked that that if we saw those people who were captured by God's grace uh, in their full glory in heaven, it would be so great and wonderful and amazing to us that we would be tempted to fall down at their feet and worship them. But the flip side is also true. That if we saw people bearing the full judgment of their sin, then that experience would be the stuff of nightmares for us. And so what the gospel is very clear about is this, that every person will spend all of eternity in one of two realities. And that eternity could be right around the corner for each and every one of us. None of us 
has a certificate in our wallet that guarantees tomorrow to us. Christ could return at any moment or our lives could be taken from us at any moment and we just don't know when either one of those things could happen. And that is why these first followers of Jesus approached this mission with urgency. They realized what the Scriptures said, that our lives are fleeting, they are frail at best, that eternity could just be on our doorstep. We don't know. And so because of that, the message of Jesus must be heard. We must treat it with urgency. Now, friends, let's be honest. If you're a lot like me, then a lot of us struggle to be motivated like Jesus' first followers were. We struggle to be captured by this mission the way that they were. Most of us don't live with the white-hot, burning desire in our hearts to spread the message of Jesus like we see in the book of Acts. Instead, if you're like me, you often become distracted by this and that and this pressure and that uh, reality of life. And we often become complacent, forgetting that eternity is right around the corner. And so what do we do? What do we do with our lack of urgency? What do we do with our lack of passion? How do we stoke this, this sense of mission in our hearts and in our lives? Well, I think we look no further than the gospel itself. Because we stoke this fire by first reflecting on the fact that Christ was on mission for us. That Christ entered into this world on mission for us, and his mission was to save you and I from sin and death and judgment. And that mission was no small task because he knew from the beginning that it would cost him his very life. See, friends, the more we drink deeply of the message of the gospel, the more we reflect on the beauty of Christ, the more we reflect on the mission that He came to save our souls, the more it will stoke the fire of mission in each and every one of our hearts. Because after all, salvation is given in order for it to be shared. The book of Acts has the most abrupt ending of all the books of the Bible. The most abrupt, it just seems to end with no sort of resolution or conclusion or anything like that. And most people look at that and believe it is that because the book's ending hasn't been written yet. That you and I, as we engage in the mission of God, as we rub shoulders with people and proclaim the message of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you and I play a part in that story of mission. We have the opportunity to write those chapters. Let's pray.